This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. Today we have the Roman Nightly News as it was broadcast over the Mutual Broadcasting System on February 26, 1943. Mutual, founded in 1934 but barely remembered today, at one time had more affiliates than any other radio network. It is probably mostly forgotten due to the fact that it was the only one of the big four radio networks to not expand into television. Mutual did continue to exist as a radio network, though, through a series of owners until 1999. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And be sure to visit our website at brickpicklemedia.com slash podcasts, where you can find links to past episodes and other information. So thanks for listening, and enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. 615 for news of the world today and the column about faces and places in the news brought to you by Roma, America's largest selling wines, the two to one favorite in California. Reports from the South Pacific indicate that American sea forces have, in the past several days, found little, if any, opposition from the ships of Admiral Osami Nagano, chief of Japan's naval staff. In Germany, Hitler's ruthless SS, or Schutzstaffel, is reportedly being absorbed into the regular army, and the picked men who made it up are becoming ordinary soldiers at the front. Later, there'll be more about the SS troops, as well as a word picture of Admiral Nagano. But first, here is tonight's front page in the news. In Tunisia, the British Eighth Army has breached the Marath Line at one point, while American forces pounding Marshal Rommel's army retreating from the Algerian border have taken Kossarine Pass and are pouring through in pursuit of the enemy. Axis forces are reported losing heavily in men and materiel as they withdraw, with Allied airmen carrying on constant raids overhead to add to the toll. Rommel's Africa Corps has now lost the initiative and is falling back in the direction of Gafsa. Gabes and the Marath Line took heavy pounding from bombers of the British Middle East Command, while American airmen struck at Axis-held Bizert. In Russia, Red Army ski troops fighting their way through a blizzard have penetrated Nazi defenses south of Orel. West of Kharkov, the Soviet drive is continuing, while other forces in the Caucasus are whittling down enemy strength around Novorossiysk. In the Donetsk Basin, stiffened Nazi resistance has brought the Red Offensive to a standstill. In Europe, American and British airmen return to Wilhelmshaven again today to dump cargoes of destruction on the U-boat base there. Seven bombers were lost in the operations, which left docks blazing. Bombers from Egypt dumped explosives on Naples and Crotone on the Italian coast last night without losing a single raider. The Danish radio is again off the air tonight, suggesting that the RAF may be back over Germany once again this evening. In the Pacific, bombers and fighters of the United States bombed Japanese positions on Kiska in the Aleutians and carried out two raids in the Solomons. In China, 
Heavy losses to both Chinese and Japanese forces are reported in the fighting in central Hupei province. The Japanese have thrown tanks and planes into the conflict in this area. In northern Kyangsi province, the Japanese are retreating under a fierce Chinese counterattack. In just a moment, our feature column, Faces and Places in the News. But first, a message from the Roma Wine Company. There's one wine that consistently outsells all the rest year after year. It's Roma, R-O-M-A, Roma, California wine. You'll realize why Roma is America's largest selling wine the moment you taste it. For you'll notice a rich, mellow flavor that makes Roma wines outstanding for quality. Yet you'll be astounded that you can buy such smooth, satisfying goodness for so little money. Just compare any Roma wine with any other brand in its price class, and you'll see how much you benefit when you buy the product of America's largest winery. You'll see how half a century of experience in making fine wines, plus the scientific resources of Roma's great modern winery, bring you dependable, delicious wines at a price you can well afford. So next time, buy for value. Insist on Roma wines. As the United Nations carry the attack with sea and air power to detachments of the Japanese fleet, Admiral Osami Nagano finds it increasingly difficult to explain the growing ineffectiveness of his ships to Premier Tojo in Tokyo. Our columnist tells us more about Admiral Nagano. All the world is a stage, and in the dramatic tragedy of war, there are many men writing plots, directing performers, shifting scenery. Charged with the task of guiding the movements of Hirohito's little waterborne puppets and protecting the emperor's ill-gotten scenery and props in the South Pacific Theater is Admiral Osami Nagano, chief of Japan's naval staff. Rated by those in the know with the best of men of the sea. 62-year-old Nagano, with the characteristic secrecy of his race, plots the movements of an unknown number of ships, directs the actions of countless sons of Nippon, well equipped with much knowledge about the United States he is fighting. At the age of 32, when he was a language officer in this country, he studied at Harvard and the War College. In 1920, he was appointed by his government as naval attaché in Washington and was all smiles and diplomacy at the Washington Conference during which the 553 sea power ratio was invented. Ten years later, at the Geneva Conference, Japan's delegate was Osami Nagano. It was there that the true feelings behind the toothy grins began to show themselves. For at this conference... He suggested that the countries involved abolish aircraft carriers and long-range submarines and limit construction of other large ships, a proposal that would have given Japan the free reign she wanted in the Western Pacific area without fear of trans-Pacific intervention. This suggestion was, of course, rejected by the other members of the meeting, but Nagano was not to be forgotten. In the London Conference of 1935, he accomplished the mission on which he hinted his life depended and blasted the 553 ratio into small and irreplaceable particles. Barrel like Osami Nagano, large in comparison to the average little man on the island of the rising sun, is a bluff, hearty sailor whose credo in naval operations is attack. 
And like so many men of his race, his formula for diplomacy consists of the words, So sorry. In 1937, when the United States gunboat Panay was sunk, his remorse was overwhelming and overdone. With great crocodile tears rolling from his eyes, Nagano apologized, I am merely an ignorant sailor, but I want you to know that I am speaking from the depths of my heart. I am positive it was an accident. On the 9th of April, 1941, he became chief of the Naval General Staff in charge of operations. And much of the planning and strategy of December 7th came from the ignorant sailor who spoke from the depths of his heart. Popular among his countrymen, admired and respected by his superiors, his ability to keep a secret is unlimited. His third wife, to whom he is now married, probably knows nothing of his thoughts and plans. However, Nagano's duty is clear to all. In the southern wing of the Pacific Theater... The actors of the United Nations are stealing not only the show, but part of the scenery beside. And the task of strengthening the props that anchor the set to Tokyo falls partly on the shoulders of Admiral Osame Nagano. But the job is daily growing greater for the men of the rising sun. And in the future, the audience will witness the crash of the scenery about the ears of the Japanese. And see the curtain fall for all time on the unholy drama of war. He who lives by the sword shall die by the sword, and any disbeliever may look into Hitler's Germany for proof. It was back in 1926 that the Fuhrer began first to realize that he had a capacity for foisting his delusions of grandeur upon other people. Already he had organized the stormtroopers, a motley mob of rabble who decked themselves out in brown shirts and used mobster tactics to break up peaceful meetings that opposed the aims of the Nazis, and to browbeat other meetings into properly acclaiming the Fuhrer when he appeared to enlighten German audiences on the benefits of barbarianism. Government by the law of the jungle was his program, and his mobsters were on hand at all times to see that he got a respectful hearing. But the Fuhrer was not satisfied with the ill-assorted gangs that made up the stormtroopers. Was he not to be the god of the Germans? And should he not have a more appropriate bodyguard than a hoodlum gang recruited from the gutters of Berlin? Frederick I had had a bodyguard befitting royalty, and the Fuhrer would have no less. So he organized an elite guard to see to the safety of his own person. Six feet, six inches, these men must tower in height. Perfect physical specimens they must be. Their background must be above reproach, and men of military training were to be preferred. And above all, they must be slavishly devoted to Adolf Hitler. And so the Schutzstaffel, known as the SS, was formed. They were a far more impressive group than the stormtroopers had ever been. Huge men of military bearing, clad in funereal black uniforms with a death's head emblem on their caps. Their leader was the coldest, most brutal man among Nazi hierarchy, Heinrich Himmler. And as they traveled with the wolf, so they learned to howl. The great, unwieldy body of brown shirts were now snubbed by Hitler as his elite guard and Himmler moved closer to him. Ernst Röhm, leader of the stormtroopers, was murdered and his followers disbanded by order. And the highly trained, much-trusted black shirts took over to do the brutal biddings of Nazism with maximum efficiency. 
They murdered and plundered the Jews at the Fuhrer's behest. They did his butchering of disgruntled followers when he decided on mass annihilation of former Nazis and government officials. And they officiated at the brutalities for which German concentration camps have won undying infamy. Then war came. Manpower became the prime need of Nazism carrying its orgy of blood across all Europe. And Hermann Goering's star began to rise. As commander-in-chief of the Nazi Air Force... With the rank of field marshal, he became more vital to the ambitions of the Fuhrer than Heinrich Himmler and the elite guard. Hitler might carry water on both shoulders, attempting to keep both the bulbous Goering and the brutal Himmler content. But if it came to a showdown, the one who wielded military might held the trump card. The law of the jungle held sway. Today, news from inside Germany indicates that with every resource being mobilized to stem the tides of defeat that threaten Nazism on all sides, the towering members of the SS, who in funereal black carried out the murderous biddings of Hitler, have fallen into disfavor, for they are now being forced to risk their own heads instead of removing those of others. They are being sent to the war fronts to become cannon fodder sacrifices to Hitler's ambitions alongside common German soldiers. And so, so the Schutzstaffel, the elite guard of Hitler who lived handsomely by the sword, now go to the battlefronts of Nazism to finish the parable and die by the weapon they once wielded so ruthlessly against defenseless opponents. We will have more news in just a moment. How do you pick the wine you like? By its flavor, of course. But how can you depend on getting wine with that same flavor every time? Well, thousands of Americans have learned one good way. They insist on Roma, R-O-M-A, because Roma wines are so dependably true to type. You see, Roma is America's largest winery, with all the benefits of the most modern scientific equipment added to more than 50 years of experience in making fine wines. It's because Roma sells more wine than any other winery in America that it can offer you such fine quality for so little money. But that's just another proof of why it's worthwhile to buy the favorite. So next time, ask for Roma, and you'll be sure of a wine you and your guests will enjoy. Now, here is the news. Bulletin Melbourne. Bombers under General Douglas MacArthur's command are at it again. The latest Allied communique says that a Jap merchant vessel has been bombed and damaged off the coast of New Guinea. London. Prime Minister Winston Churchill is still confined to Number 10 Downing Street, but has won his battle against pneumonia. His condition is showing steady improvement. Washington. President Roosevelt is still taking time out from official duties to recover from an intestinal ailment. Pune, India. Mohandas K. Gandhi, now in the 17th day of his fast, is very weak, but doctors expect him to live out the 21 days. Washington. Manpower Chief Paul V. McNutt told a Senate committee today that the war production program and the armed forces would demand mobilization of 62.5 million persons by the end of this year, nearly half of the entire American population. Now we'll say good evening for your host, the Roma Wine Company, Fresno, California, your reporter and your columnist. We'll return Monday and every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.15, with news and the column about faces and places in the news. 
And remember, to appreciate America's finest wine, don't drink it. Sip it. But before you buy wine, buy war bonds. This is Don Lee Mutual.